This episode contains graphic descriptions of real medical scenarios faced by real medical professionals. Listener discretion is advised. From Knowledgeable Provider, this is Critical Incident. So right after I recorded the last Critical Incident episode, just by pure coincidence, we've been on a mission to purge and declutter and get rid of old stuff and we decided that we were going to go after my little box of memories, mementos, whatever, just mostly random junk that I've just kept over the years. So we were going through that box and I found the obituaries for those two kids that I talked about. I clicked them out of the newspaper and saved them. And I'd forgotten they were in there. I hadn't looked at them in years. So it's crazy to see that immediately after I'd just been talking about it. Only one other obituary in there that I've ever saved. And I'll talk about that sad tale some other time. But today I thought I'd talk about something a little more lighthearted. This happened in Florence when I worked for North Star, so it would have been sometime between 2003 and 2007. I don't know any more specific time than that. We get called for syncope, I believe. Arrived to find a guy maybe late 60s, early 70s, sitting on the couch in the living room. Evidently had had a brief loss of consciousness. I don't quite remember the details. But he had a cardiac history, and he was looking pretty rough, you know, pale, maybe a little diaphoretic. Like, you could tell he was sick. He was awake, alert. But you could tell something was going on. So I take his history, talk to him, blah, blah, blah. Okay, now we're ready to go to the hospital. And he says, okay, but I need to go to the bathroom before we leave. Now, there's a, I would go so far as to call it a rule or a law in pre-hospital medicine that bad things happen in the bathroom. That's where people go when they don't feel so well. That's where people vagal and pass out and fall off the toilet and get hurt and die. It's just generally accepted that the bathroom is the place you need to avoid bad juju in the bathroom. And so he says this and we all kind of exchange knowing glances and go, "Uh uh-uh, nope, we got to go to the hospital. Sorry, you can't go to the bathroom. And he comes back with, no, you don't understand. I'm not going anywhere. You're not taking me anywhere until I use the bathroom. Well, okay. Customer's always right. So I walk him into the bathroom, close the door. It's just, it's me in the hallway and I'm standing right outside the door, probably literally with my ear pressed to the door listening. I know that sounds creepy, but such is the fear of the bathroom that you resort to these sort of things. The rest of the responders, the firefighters and my partner, like back out in the living room. So I'm listening and I bet it wasn't one minute. I hear this. He's fallen, right? Not responding. It's not, he's not answering me when I say anything. So I go to push the door open. Door won't budge. The door opens into the bathroom and he has fallen against it. So now I cannot push it open. Well, great. Fantastic. So I hollered everybody else. Hey, he passed out. So now we're trying to get in the bathroom. And at this point, we're probably full on like cops trying to break the door down, you know, shoulders into it, that sort of thing. We get it open enough that we can see him in there leaned up against it. And we're just shoving and shoving. You know, we know we're probably going to hurt him, pinch him or bruise him or whatever. But we had to get in there somehow. And we finally just by brute force shove the door open enough that the smallest responder that was there with us could slide in. So he was able to get in there and pull the guy back from the door we got in. And he's coded. I mean, he like coded in the bathroom, you know, how cliche. As I remember, we weren't so prepared for that. I don't think we had all the equipment busted out and everything. Sometimes when you go into a call with one mindset, it takes a minute to kind of get your brain to change gears when the nature of the call changes. And also, I will say over there at that service at that time, the culture was not one of bringing all your equipment inside and, you know, being prepared. Himsey and Huntsville has, or at least had when I worked there, a great culture of like, you always take your equipment, you always take your jump bag, you take your cardiac monitor if there's a chance you'll need it. You come in prepared. 
North Star was more like, you know, if we feel like it, maybe you get the stretcher. That was sort of the culture over there. So great lesson for new folks. Don't get caught unprepared. Bring your equipment in. So I think pretty much what we decided to do is throw him on the stretcher and get him to the ambulance as quickly as we could while doing some chest compressions. One little image is we're going out the front door with him on the stretcher and we had all of his medicines in a grocery sack or something on the head of the stretcher and they just went flying everywhere. I just see this bag of medicines explode. All these pill bottles fly all over the place. Great. So we run him out to the ambulance. We get him in the back. I assume we're doing CPR and ventilating him by this time. Put him on the monitor. And he's got an ICD, an implanted defibrillator. And I can see on the monitor that it's shocking him, which as far as I know is not something you really practice for in ACLS. I don't know that there's a specific algorithm for people who already have a defibrillator. So I'm like, well, he's being defibrillated. I guess I don't have to defibrillate him. So I decided I was going to intubate him. So I do all that, get him tubed, look back at the monitor. He's back in science rhythm. I can feel a pulse. Hey, fantastic. And all of a sudden he starts bucking, you know, fighting the tube, freaking out. And generally in the field, once you intubate somebody, you don't extubate them. It's usually something that happens later if it happens at all. So again, not something you really practice for. But in this situation, I was like, well, hell, I guess I got to take this tube out. So I deflate the cuff, pull it out. Sure enough, he's breathing on his own, not responding yet, but clearly headed in the right direction. So now I'm on the bench beside him, digging around his arm, trying to get an IV. He hasn't said anything yet. Of course, I'm not looking at his face. I'm looking at what I'm doing. And I see out of the corner of my eye, he looks over at me and he goes, hey, why are you sweating? Like he had no memory of anything that had happened in the past few minutes. And I just started laughing. I was like, well, what I wanted to say was, well, you kind of died. But I imagine I said something like, well, you gave us a little scare there. So at the end of all that, I delivered him to the hospital with a pulse, awake, talking. I have no idea what happened to him after that. But hey, ICDs save lives. Way to go, electrophysiology. That was a cool call, memorable call with a happy ending. I would love to share your critical incident on the podcast. If you have a story you want to tell, send it to me by email at thekppod at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-K-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. You can send it in writing and I'll read the story. You can make a high quality recording of yourself telling the story and I'll play that. Or I can interview you about it, either remotely or in person. Thank you for listening, and as always, stay safe, take care of yourself, and take care of your patients in that order.